and welcome back to the Y Hockey periodically thankful that the Colorado Avalanche won the $220 in the playoff pool podcast. <laughs> and that's, of course, that's the most important part of the Ab Stanley Cup win is them making me money. Yeah, secondary to them uh, in a copycat cat league um, set in an example for 31 other teams to try to follow. So Absolutely secondary compared to me getting a little <laughs> bit of money in my time with me that's it i mean here here i'm i'm pro money for the people oh, I'm pro, again we all are pro getting the bag here and uh seeing as my career has uh, not gone the way i would have liked 220 dollars in a playoff pool because i very smartly picked the lightning and the rangers to make the conference final uh you know what i'll take them i'll take the money i'm okay yeah <laughs> That was a that Good was deal. A, I mean, look, excusing the fact that the Panthers embarrassed themselves, that was a fun playoffs. We got the right answer in the end. The Avs won, and that's good. And I picked only two series wrong, and that's why I won. Beautiful. I, I would also say we got the two best teams in the final. We um, did. No, clearly. By way of how things shook out. But no, no, no. It, it was one of those rare Stanley Cup finals. saying it. it I, yeah, I know. Well... The correct team won. It is the tertiary Y hockey team. We would have wanted one of the other two teams to win it. One of them's a little bit closer than the other, but <laughs> a little bit being a stretch, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so we'll, we'll take that. You know, the abs winning, as you said, is very good for the entirety of the league because more teams are going to try to play like that. The funnier thing is going to be watching the crappy approximations of teams trying to be the avalanche and failing. But, you know, we'll get to that, I guess, as we go along. But it was a good final. The playoffs were fun. It felt like this was one of the more enjoyable postseasons in a really long time. Like, this, there wasn't a fluky. Like, the last two postseasons before this obviously were pandemic affected. And the ones before that, you got accidents happening, like the, the incredible Lightning team getting swept and things like that. So, you know, this, this was probably the most enjoyable postseason in what, like three, four, five years? So. We'll take I, it. I mean, I, I guess for me, it was the most painful because it's the only one that I expected Florida to do something in and they necessarily didn't. Well, once, so. I, once I compartmentalized my sports pain <laughs> and realized that the Panthers winning a playoff series and still getting swept is better than a lot of teams, my sports teams have done in recent years. And then after the Panthers got swept, I immediately remembered that Tottenham beat Arsenal in the Champions League. So that made it a little bit better. Um, what was really funny, actually, now that I mention it, is this is this is the one thing I love about sports, is the Avs win the Stanley Cup, right? We're all talking about how Stan Kroenke, who has no involvement with the Avalanche whatsoever, it's just that his son owns it, and they basically leave it to Joe Sackick, which was a wise idea. You know, they're talking about, oh, he's won the, the Super Bowl and he's won the Stanley Cup. And then all throughout Twitter that night, you'd get to see, well, what about Arsenal? And then I, and then I get to sing in my head, Arsenal get battered everywhere they go. The Colorado Avalanche are doing another service to the world, reminding us how terrible Arsenal is. Yeah, always take your wins where you can get them. Listen, I, there was a highlight they posted, and we're going to get to the hockey in a second. I just have to mention this. Arsenal were posting a highlight of a preseason friendly they were playing against Nuremberg, who was a lower division German soccer team. And they were posting the highlights. They ended up winning the game, but at one point they were losing, and they blurred out the score bug in the highlight. How pathetic is that? Uh, well, it's then why, beautifully why did, pathetic. I love why it. Did, 
Why did they even show the highlight at that point? Because they wanted to show everyone that Gabriel Jesus is good and better than Richarlison, which is obviously not true. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piss off Arsenal fans, but really, do I care about pissing off Arsenal fans? Of course not. One of my great friends is an Arsenal fan, and I make fun of them every day. But I just had to say that because there was never a bad time to mention that Arsenal get battered everywhere they go. Meanwhile, there's a lot of other news going on. I do remind everybody to go listen to our podcast with Murat Atez, who talks about Paul Maurice in great detail. Uh, I was interested to hear what he'd have to say about Maurice because the initial reaction was obviously quite negative when the Panthers hired him, and that's to be expected. And then the more you think about it, the more you... I'm not saying I'm less skeptical than I was at the start, but you can buy a universe in which their process works here. And the one thing I'll say is, even if I don't agree with the outcome... I can understand what they were trying to do and why they tried to do it, even if it didn't go the way that I think said process I, should have. Yes, yeah, and I'm and I'm glad I get to. I first of all, I really liked, uh, you know, getting that insight on on Maurice. I, I thought, you know, it was a, a fair fair look from you know obviously somebody who has the experience and the insight. Uh, much more than us so you know if anybody can give a you know a fair and full picture um you know Marat can and so but I the first thing I my initial anger I've been you know there's a lot of time that's happened since the hiring so I've had time to you know process things and think about things like you were saying uh, and the more I think about it, the more I realize that like my initial anger wasn't so much to Paul Maurice, but more so why, first off, why, you know, you can't go back and change the past, but it makes me more upset about them not doing anything about coaching during the year. Uh, they uh, you know, there's rumors that Burnett maybe doesn't even want to be a head coach. They would kind of have that inkling back, you know, in the in the winter and the early spring when they could have hired somebody, given them enough time to get ready for the playoffs. You know, obviously they can always lean on. They thought less change would be better for the players, but in, in hindsight, it, it obviously wasn't. Um, if they, they had no real trust in Brunette, they didn't, not that necessarily that I wanted to bring him back, but it, it feels like they were, they agreed that the performance was so bad from the coaches that they had to let most of them go. Somehow, I think Rob Tallis is back. He's on the ice for development he camp. He is, he is. Um, I swear. He, you know, he might have blackmail on the organization, but he doesn't I doesn't actually have blackmail, but I don't know. You know, we're <laughs> trying yeah, to find um, a way to make a joke about how he's still here after all of these. He, how many head coaches has he worked for in Florida? It's gotta be like seven or eight at this point. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. He's the mole inside the organization. Remember that, that TV uh, show, the mole from the early 2000s. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, you know, like they agreed that, the staff was so bad they had to be let go that they, you know, had to get in. And then their immediate look was experience. Somebody who can, 
who has a, a wealth of experience. Now we can talk about how many wins and how many losses. Yes, we're um, going to. I, you know, that experience has. But, um, you know, that they were clearly going for what Brunette didn't have. And, you know, their reaction to the playoffs was, wow, we really need a coach that's everything Brunette isn't. And that's kind of telling to me, and again, is part of why I had an, an initial reaction of anger after the season. Um, and the second thing was, how did it get to the tier level of Paul Maurice? Um, you know, why couldn't you convince Barry Trotz to to be the coach? Why couldn't you convince Bruce Cassidy to take an interview? Um, why couldn't you... Why, I mean, I don't know. Again, we don't know how it's going to work out. So I, I, I want to hedge my bets here. But I, Maurice is kind of like, if you're getting to, I would say, you know, your third level options, Maurice is probably like one of the better ones in that. And I don't understand why the Panthers after the season they have with the ownership, with the general manager they have, um, you know, and how it, they're on a the riding, you know, high reputation, high, you know, they're getting favorable mentions in in the media and everything. Why they aren't able to capitalize that in getting another high-end head coach in. Cuz I wouldn't cl- classify Maurice as a high-end coach. Um, and they were able to with Quinville. Um, so to me, it kind of signals somewhat of a step back um, or something falling through the cracks that they were, or, you know, maybe it's just plain bad luck, but um, I, I have a little, I'm a little skeptical in, you know, what happened because I, I don't necessarily believe um, Paul Maurice is the best best head coach that was available fit-wise for the Panthers. I 100% agree with you, but I need to mention a couple things that some of this has been reported, some of this is us guessing, but it's intuition. The first thing with Cassidy, I really don't know what happened there. I I, I can understand Vegas backing up a Brinks truck for him, but if you're asking me what team would I rather take over, Vegas or Florida, like you're kind of picking, you know, it's – one or the – I think they're both pretty equal. Like, Vegas still got a ton of talent. They're going to be a really good team, obviously, next year. Last year they had a hellhole of injuries. And the Panthers obviously have all this talent, and the team's not going to be any – really all that different next year. So I don't know what happened there. I think it, maybe it's Vegas was more proactive. I really don't know. But with Barry Trotz, obviously he's not coaching at the time we're talking about this. I am 100% a believer that he will coach by some point in the middle of the season when someone fires a coach – but he's not coaching right now. And he got let go by the Islanders, surprisingly. I think we're still, I'm still a little shocked they let him go. Uh, he, apparently the rumor is, according to Elliot Friedman, you can believe this what you want, but this has been reported that he's a big Andrew Burnett defender. And because of the way the situation was evolving with Andrew Burnett in Florida, he didn't want to step on his toes. I don't know if that's true or not. It's been reported. We have no idea. I would have taken Barry Trotz, even if I don't like the well hockey that they play. Barry Trotz would have been a considerable upgrade because he would have gotten the Panthers to do the playoff things we talk about, right? 
but he didn't even I, end up taking the Winnipeg job. So perhaps he well, just didn't want to coach. Well, then, you know, it's been rumored that Trotz wants to be in the front office and everything. I don't understand why maybe you don't say, okay, we'll keep Brunette and have Trotz, you know, in the front office as a mentor for Brunette. And, and even maybe that would be better than Paul Maurice. And you have Trotz there, you know, he can always come. If it's not working out with Burnett going into the, you know, next playoffs or, you know, God forbid they let, you know, it doesn't work in the next year's playoffs. Then you just have Trotz step, Trotz step down uh, and you don't have to, you know, fight other teams for him. Um, like, I don't know. Maybe that's something he wasn't ready for or something. Maybe they did try selling them that, but I, th those are things I wonder. And, you know, I'm kind of angry that a top team wasn't able to get a top coach when there was a decent amount of them. Like, I, I would even say Jim Montgomery might have been a choice I'd rather have had. Now, maybe they had that opportunity and didn't want to go back, back to Montgomery, who was a candidate before and didn't get a job with them. So I don't know. It's interesting when I look at some of the choices that they had, because you look at who got hired. I've made my point very yeah. clear on John Tortorella. We're going to get to that in a second. Not a torts fan. Jim Montgomery is a good coach, but I mean, when you look at the experience, right, which is really what they were going for, they needed someone yeah. who's been there and done that. Montgomery, I don't remember how long it was in Dallas, but it wasn't all that long. And so when I think about that, I'm going, I'm not sure that's what they were really looking for, you know? And I think Montgomery's a good coach. I'm glad he's getting another opportunity. He deserves it. But personally, I don't think that was the road they were going down. When you look at, I mean, Winnipeg hired Rick Bonus. Thank the Lord they didn't do that. You know, and most of the other coaches were either first-timers or were coaching young team examples like Derek Lalonde with the Red Wings and Lane Lambert getting promoted so that he doesn't get lost by the Islanders, you know, Luke Richardson, things of that nature, right? And so when I look at it, because what are the other coaches that they could have reasonably hired? You know, we talked last year and throughout the playoffs, like if Joel Quenville does not commit heinous indiscretions with the 2010 Blackhawks, he's still the coach of the Panthers right now. But unfortunately, you can't control that. Yeah, and, but obviously they can control the oh, everything after the reactions. And, yes. and and I don't, I wouldn't classify Maurice as a bad action or strike against or anything like that. It's it's a unexciting it's, option. It's it's, 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 a, a, it's a letdown. It's a letdown is what it yeah. is. Because and, when you look at when you look at Maurice's record with the Jets. Right, it's not inspiring, and I asked, and we asked Murad about that, and we said, well, "Why is that?" Because when you look at it from the outside, and obviously as Panthers people, we're not following the Winnipeg Jets every single day. You know, they're not in the same division anymore. Um, so it is important to ask people who know. And I asked him about the dressing room in Winnipeg, which was famously kind of toxic. That's not right. something you're going to have an issue with in Florida. That's been reportedly a very, very you tight hope. dressing room. You hope. You hope, obviously, but the dressing room is a thing. Is it because of player acquisitions and the way the Jets managed, you know, their blue line, what we saw with Bufflin and Tyler Myers, whatever you think of them, trading Jacob Truba, right? All of those things play in. Whatever you can say about Paul Maurice as a coach, and I want to get to a couple things with him that were interesting in a few interviews he did, 
when you get to Paul Maurice coaching this Panthers team, whatever it looks like by the time we get to the regular season, and we're recording this just before free agency starts, we know that this is quite possibly the most talented team he's ever coached. There are going to be some changes on this team, but it's not like all these players are going away. This team came off 122-point record-setting season. There's talent everywhere. So he's working. he's got a lot to work with here, uh, which is one thing. And it's better than most of the teams he had in Winnipeg. I would say it's even better than the team that made the conference final in the West in 2018, which was a very good team. Um, and you can listen to the Murat show for more details on how that team played and also why a team that had pretty good numbers, underlying numbers, in that, you know, when they ascended and then it went down really fast. Right. Why did that happen? And he gave good explanations for it, and I think I, that's really important. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I think they can win with Maurice. I, I don't, but I also think that they could do better. And and but I guess that's, that's really it. And I don't and that's what my, necessarily that's need to say more. Yeah, and at this point, it's not really worth saying you know a whole bunch more. I'm really it's real. I'm really interested in seeing what the assistance are, is going to look like. Um, you know, we what, know Twilmo is going to be back. But they haven't hired anybody else yet. And you know what that tells me? I think they have left the door open for Andrew Burnett. They're waiting to see but where the chips fall. And if they Andrew still have to, to come back, he can. But they still have to. I mean, I guess if they're going to even keep, like, I, I would think by now they'd have a defense coach. I they'd think they're also waiting the to see. I think they're also waiting. Again, I think they're waiting to see how everything else shakes. I think they have a plan, and it's just they're waiting yeah. for things to, to fall into place. I've looked yeah. at some of the other assistant coaches being hired around the league, and they're not exactly inspiring. So we'll see what it ends up being. But I also want to make another point about Paul Maurice, and it's something you sent to me. There's a podcast. If you go back and listen to it, it's uh, Bob McCowan and John Shannon, and they did a really long interview with Maurice, which I think is really good, and you should listen to it if you haven't. And he talked a lot about what he went through in the process of being hired, but also what he learned from his experience with the Jets. Because one of the big questions I had was the way it ended in Winnipeg was really kind of lousy, right? And so I wanted to know, okay, what is that? Why did it end like that? And Paul Maurice gave a pretty faithful and forthright explanation, I think, when he said, I stopped feeling like the coach of the Jets somewhere between the actual bubble and the 21-ish season. They still made the conference semifinals, but that team was a fluke. And and I wondered, is that internal politics for the Jets and wanting to bring them back or not? But he also mentioned that he wanted to learn – you know, a little bit about what, you know, what else. He's not going to be the same coach, essentially, that he was with the Jets. And he says, I don't want to take away from this team. I want to add. And that's the right thing to say. We have to see what it actually looks like on the ice. But I think the number one thing he said was, and he mentioned a lot of, you know, when 2002 when the Hurricanes lost to the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup final, when he talked about the Hurricanes losing to the Penguins in 2009 and the 2018 Jets and the things that they had that his teams didn't, and it's about adding that extra playoff compete, which is essentially like trying to figure out what Tampa's doing and why Tampa can do the things they do in the playoffs really well and why Florida can't or couldn't. And it's... I'm, yeah, I mean, that's all great, and... I, you just need I, to see just, what it looks like in like, practice. I... I I've, I'm more thinking like questions like, you know, did they offer Maurice the head coaching job last year? 
because he was available. They needed a coach. You I know, don't think like, that was the case. I because, mean, because when I, Maurice talked on the on these podcasts about how did this happen, he wasn't looking for any jobs when I mean, he got fired. He was out, you know, in a cottage somewhere in Manitoba. And then the Panthers made a call at some point, and Paul Maurice was like, okay, l- let me look into this. Right. And he had made some calls elsewhere, and when he was talking yeah. with those, and those management staff, I, he was like, this I, isn't going to work. Well, I, yeah, but I wonder what prevented them from making call, you know, reaching out to some of the coaches, and I don't know. I, I'm, I still, it, it, I'm still hung up I, on – I'm still 100% hung up on going into the postseason – with an inefficient coach and coaching staff and not doing anything. Like if you were, if they were missing Ekblad, they would have, you know, brought in somebody like they were missing Ekblad or, you know, for a bit and they brought in Sherrod and stuff. Like when you have players who can't play, you fill that hole. When you lose a coach and stuff, you have to fill that hole. You have to, you know, bring in talent to, because otherwise it's just irresponsible. And I think now, you know, at least they're admitting it and, and moving on and, you know, moving forward with a new coach and they're focusing on, you know, experience and, and thinking that, you know, course correcting that way. Um, and they certainly got the most experienced coach uh, on the market um, he's he's been know, doing that, this a while. I mean, I, I forgot. Like, he started job. coaching in the NHL when he was like 28, which I is mean, insane. Yeah, he can say he worked for the Hartford Whalers. He did was the head coach. So The only he, thing left from the Hartford Whalers in the NHL other than, than Paul Maurice is John Forslund who's not working for the Hurricanes anymore in their Goldhorn, which came over from Hartford. That's it. So that, that's something to be said. I think there's one mention uh, before we start to shift gears a little bit here. Because there's still a lot we don't know, and I have, to, and we we're gonna have to see what it looks like when they play. But with the exit from the playoffs, I was listening to our friend Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman when they talked about it, and Friedman was talking about you know how all of this had to be Tampa, and the fact that they changed coaches has to do everything with the fact that they got swept by the Lightning. And Elliot Friedman was uh, rebutted by our friend Jeff Merrick when he said the Washington series had something to do with it. And the more we thought about it, right, what did we say after they beat the Capitals was they didn't play all that well, but they got away with it. I hope they learned their lesson here. They didn't. They got worse. I think the Washington series played a very big role in why they changed coaches because they weren't very good in in the Washington series. They got outcoached. They just won by brute force. And the lack of difference between the two series, you know, in response. You're absolutely right. You know, I think the Washington think series huge. had a huge role in why they changed and, coaches. I do. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic that, you know, Maurice is really just going to be a guiding, an experienced guiding hand, kind of just, you know, try to do what Brunette did, which was not really – update the systems or change what they're trying to do or who they're trying to be. Um, and you know, when things are happening in game, he's just going to rely on his experience and his gut to make, you know, move players around, make calls, timeouts, challenge the refs, things like that, that we weren't so much getting with Burnett and hoping that that's the difference that, you know, if, 
you know, if Maurice can just do that, and if the players can play at the same level they did last year, uh, those that come back, and we'll talk about that in a second, um, you know, that'll be enough to go further. And I think, you know, the goal is at least making the conference final, but obviously it's winning the cup. You know, this is their window, and they're going to have to do some cap gymnastics this and next year, but they're the big years that they want to win and bring something you're, home. You're, you're correct, and I, I want to say now, we're going to say it as we get into October, the regular season, barring them making uh, missing the playoffs, does not matter in terms of what their record is. Like, Paul Maurice, I think, has only finished with one 100-plus point season in his career, but, like, at this point, as long as they get in the playoffs, who the hell cares? They won the President's Trophy last year, destroyed everybody, and had their goals per game cut in half when they went to the playoffs. So it's all about what do they do in the postseason. It's all about, as you said, adding those postseason details to their game, and those are things that Paul Maurice has to do in practices and things like that. So, again, we may see a dip in regular season performance. As long as they make the playoffs and the improvement comes in the playoffs, that's all that matters at this point. And I do want to say the schedule, that they released the schedule, and it is interesting. I just want to, I want to mention it quickly. They have, there are two awful, heinous road trips. The California West Coast road trip is early November, and then the end of November, early December is the Western Canada Seattle road trip. That's done by the end of the year. And they have a stretch by February, for, from February 20th, I think, to March 20th. They don't leave the state of Florida. So it's an interesting thing in the schedule. Just get off to a decent start. And then add the playoff details to your game as you go along. That's what's going to be important as things progress with this season. And now we talk about, and we're recording this Monday afternoon. We're going to do something else when free agency and all these other moves and come in. There's uh, one burning question I have. Yes. Are you surprised Patrick Hornquist is still a member of this club? Am I surprised? <laughs> well, not sort surprised. Of? I Did you sort think of? it was going to happen? Sort of. I mean, I don't doubt that they're trying to move him, but I don't think because they didn't have a ton of draft picks that are, you know, worth something and they don't exactly have the prospect capital. I think it's proven to be harder to move than they thought. I think they're trying to do something. Now we have to mention that Anthony Duclair's Achilles injury really sucks and it's awful. And I feel really bad for him. Right. And, and I think that they have to do the right thing and keep him out all regular season. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Nothing personal, Anthony, but one, I, I think it's actually better. These injuries, I mean, he can start, you know, doing, you know, keep him on LTIR and let him, you know, work within those confines, but he can be on the ice and skating and, and doing all that stuff. But, you know, we need that cap hit and you got to push for every couple million um, because, and you got to really just push, I think Hornquist too at a certain point. Um, and because you, I don't think you want to, I think you want to try to get Marchman. You want to try to get Giroux. Um, you want to try to bring back as many of these players as you can. Um, and, you know. you know, we talked about this during the playoffs in our text conversations, and you want to know what I thought the Panthers from a player perspective were missing, and it hit me during the conference finals, and then it hit me again in the final, and it was something John Cooper said because, of course, it was. It was, and he was talking about Andre Pilat, who if the Panthers could sign Andre Pilat, it would be the greatest heel move <laughs> ever, and I'd love it, but it's, it's not going to happen. It would be awesome. 
but it was the idea that the Panthers didn't have those blue collar players who could play with the white collar. I don't, I don't necessarily buy that because I think they had a lot of guys who blend at the very least blend those skill sets. Um, well, the, the you know, they had to blue collar was Marchman who was hurt, Mammon who tried but is now yeah. going back to Russia, Lindell, and Sam Bennett who didn't play very well. Lindell, so. who's a rookie. I mean, yeah, but I, I thought about why the Lightning and the Avs, and to a lesser extent the Rangers, were able to do what they did, and it was those kind of players like the Nachushkins of the world. And if the Panthers could play for Jesse Pugliarvi, please do that. That would be a great idea. We're going to talk about the, the greatest change in scenery ever going from Edmonton, where no one likes you, to to Team Finland. You know, you might as well. Um, Dennis, would you do Dennis Anko for Pulgiarvi? Yes, 100%. 100% Just I would do that. Out there. Yeah, no, no, I would definitely do that. Here's um, the other thing with the Panthers' cap situation. If you look at cap friendly, they have one of the uh, the, the Swedish defensemen they signed listed on their, on their page. He's not going to be – he's on entry level, so they can move him down. And with – uh, Duclair, they would have, I would think, if I did the math, it's about $4.5 million in cap space this you year. Can go, you can go 10% over You can go somewhat. 10% over in the, in the, in the, the offseason yeah. because you can't do LTIR. Yes. So when we talk about that, it's, it's interesting. Like, so they obviously want to keep Drew, but I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, and it stinks. Uh, but but I, think, I think at this point – it means that you trade a Racco Gudis or Montour. Cause I think that would give you enough between, you know, and then hoping that you can move Hornquist later. Mm-hmm. Cause that, I mean, listen, is Hornquist, if, world, if it, if it gets do. to yes. it, if it gets to it, is Hornquist just going to sit at home? Cause I, I, I got to think I don't think he's going to like Patrick Horn. I, I think Hornquist, if he's around, is going to play. I don't think he's going to play as much, but he's going to play. But at some point, if they're trying to force a trade, because he's got a modified, modified. No modified no trade. Yeah, but he's got an 18 no trade list. So, I mean, he's probably movable. I mean, oh, I think he's definitely movable. I think not as whether he would move. I think it's as much as can the Panthers find the team. I think that they can, can they entice a team to take the contract is basically what I'm, I'm saying. Cause you I look at what it. like the Oilers had to do for Zach Cassian and Zach Cassian is not as good. I mean, I would take Patrick Hornquist over Zach Cassian at this point, but that's there's going to be a lot of teams that have like, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe they have to wait, but if it, then I'm not sure Marchman's ready to be making might make might I don't think Marchman is one of the players who will make a decision quickly. He'll have options. Well, also, unfortunately, his father died, yeah. and that sucks. Yeah, awful. Yeah, and so and and so I don't know what his his timeline's As, going to be, and exactly, you have to give yeah. it to him. Uh, and. You know, in, in a situation like this, as somebody whose father died when I was very young, I mean, I'm not able to equate the situations. I don't want to do that. But, like, will Mason Marchment value stability and not having to, you know, make a huge change in his life when he's going through all this, you know, this horrible time? I don't know. It's, it's yeah. an open question. I like Mason Marchment. He can't really stay healthy. But if the Panthers could keep him, obviously, I think they want to right. because – I think, as was mentioned, Marchment values what the Panthers did for his career, and I mean, they essentially gave him the platform to become the player he is. Like, why wouldn't you? But it's it's there's a lot going on with him, and so yeah. we'll see what happens. Um, I'm glad they kept on uh, Lowe and who I thought 
as is a perfectly decent, you know, bottom six center contracts, reasonable. And uh, we have to say for all that was going on, we didn't get a chance to mention it. They, as we mentioned, they signed the, uh, the Swedish defenseman. I think you pronounce it Cheyenne, but I don't know. I'll get an official pronunciation on that at some point. And they signed yeah. uh, the leading scorer in the, in the Liga who played for the team that Sasha Barkov owns. You know, how could you not, if you're uh, us, go, we've been asking for them to do this for years, and they're kind of doing it just in a different way than we thought they were going to. It's not our, our friend Vinny Viola owning the team. It's Sasha Barkov owning the team. Right. I mean, I'm... I'm happy with how they skirt uh, these C- these uh, CBA laws and these <laughs> NHL and interleague bylaws. Uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Now, just keep going. Like I said, keep Duclair on for the whole year. Let him rest up and be energetic for the for the postseason. Um, you know, I think they should weaponize their cap space. And you know, they got some good young D hopefully, and they, they are usually able to find cheap defensemen that I think they can move Montour and Gudis, get that cap space if they can't move Hornquist mm-hmm. to ensure that they get Giroux and Marchman. Um, you know, like I said, this is their year next year. You got just push for it. Keep pushing for it. I mean, if you can move Bobrovsky, great. That's going to be near impossible. Hornquist should be, might be impossible depending on how everything looks, but just keep pushing um, because I the more wouldn't be surprised if the, the biggest offseason news we hear from the Panthers is Huberto and Uyghur extensions. But you got to have certain things taken care of to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah of course. And but the good news for the Panthers is the, the I worst don't... contract on their books after this coming season is Bobrovsky. That's the only yeah. issue you have after that. I, it's a big issue, but it's the only one. I'm not signing a contract with Uyghur yet. I'll sign a contract with Huberto when, if, it's a, if it's at the right number. Um, That's going to be a really interesting negotiation because by the time he starts that contract, he'll be 30. So it's, yeah. it's, and he's been really healthy outside of the one horrible injury. But it's it. That's one of those where you have to you have to keep Huberto. But Uyghur's interesting. He was I, in trade rumors. We'll have to see. Yeah, I keep your options open throughout the year. I, you mean one, you don't. <laughs> this is you know not the best time to resign him. Uh, let's see how he you know wait till he maybe he starts the year without a couple without a point in the first couple games and then you start Uh-oh. talking to him. Well, but, well um, yeah, you know. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a really interesting off season, but, uh, for the Panthers, but as, as, as I said, my, our opinion on, on Paul Maurice is we are open-minded, but skeptical, the right word I'm saying, okay, prove it. Basically, I think is our, the way we're saying, like, you can say all these nice things. We understand why you did it. Even if he's not the coach we would have chosen, but you got to go out and prove it. And we'll see in October if they can go out and prove it. And that is a, it's an open question. I don't know if they can prove it, but if it works the way they expect it to work, then this could be the thing that puts them over the top because it clearly was coaching was the issue in the playoffs, and we don't need to go over that again. So that's the Panthers portion of this this podcast, which is a little depressing, but not that depressing. It's, you know, it is what it is. And now we get to the Flyers portion, which is very depressing. And uh, I am here as your emotional help, my friend, because you, you, as everyone knows, we are both Delaware Valley natives, right? Yes. Um, I don't want to say Delaware. I don't like to associate with the Delaware Valley. 
Oh. Well, I I'm okay with listen. Okay, do you want let that put that on the record? Oh well, I I'm a South Jersey native, and I am perfectly okay with celebrating South Jersey. South Jersey dominates the world of soccer. I have to say that for a fact because now gave the world Carly Lloyd and gave the world two Aronsons. Congratulations to Medford, New Jersey, on doing something useful for the world for the first time ever. Uh, by the way, the comment you made to me on the flyers was one of my favorite comments I think I have ever heard. And this is a thing that only matters to people who like the Jersey Shore. But, you, <laughs> what is it? You basically said there's too much Sea Isle City on the Flyers now and not enough what? Cape May? I would go for yeah, Avalon, Ocean City, to be, yeah. to be frank with you. Even Avalon. You know, I'm, I'm, yes, just, no, Avalon, absolutely. Just, what about Wildwood? Just, Are we okay with Wildwood here? I like Wildwood. Uh, I personally like Wildwood. <laughs> I would put that more into uh, what they're currently doing, but the, yeah, Wildwood's yeah. a little less family friendly. Um, but how about? But you know what this team reminds me of a little bit? I got a little Seaside Heights vibe from this team. Definitely. The absolute like I, Jersey Shore advice for all of you. You know, you're going to go to certain places. Do not ever go to Seaside Heights. It is a disgusting respite of sin. I hate that place. I just. I'm really unsure of Chuck Fletcher's plan. I mean, not in, I know I don't trust it and it's not going to end well, but, um, you know, he has to move go to spare like so hard. Like he, he pays a huge price to, to get, to move him to Arizona. And then we all know what kind of season he has in Arizona. He played perfectly um, fine in, in and, Arizona. And he's going to be a decent right. trade deadline acquisition for somebody this year. And so then, you know, Flyers, they have defensive troubles. So they go out, you know, they get Ristolainen, in. They pay a bunch for him. He sucks. They give him $5 million to keep sucking. Um, and then they bring in... Racist saved Goss despair, basically. <laughs> I mean, I I don't understand why they're giving they're spending just as many assets as they spent to get rid of Goes to Spare to then spend again to bring in the you know the rights of this player and then sign him to two years five million, uh, which is more than go to spare, right? So uh yeah, by like two hundred fifty thousand or something like that. Yeah, like I don't. I don't understand what the point is. And I, how much do I you think they're banking on Ryan Ellis being healthy this year? Because they, that they shouldn't be the hinge point of the season. There's quotes from Fletcher saying that, you know, he's not really confident in Ellis being ready by the start of the season, not really confident in being knowing when Ellis is going to be ready or having a good prognosis for it that there's a lot uh, still up in the air and things like that. And he was being kind of vague further than that. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, it was a good trade to get Alice. However, you know, it, it hasn't just hasn't worked, worked because out. Because he hasn't been healthy. The other, the other moves, I, I think at the time, have been contra- controversial at best. Um, I... This is the perfect time to do a rebuild. There's been enough talk about the 2023 draft lately because of the recent draft that just happened. Well, also um, because there is a team that is absolutely shamelessly tanking. Like, it is it is very much Sabres 
Coyotes 2015 level tanking. And I want to talk about the Blackhawks in a second. But it is incredible what they're going to do this year to tank. And the Flyers, and, and here's my opinion from ultimately the Ultimately should be doing the oh, same. Oh, no, no. I think the Flyers should absolutely do the same. Here's the thing with the Flyers, though. And here's what frustrates me from the outside. Because as much as I am, you know, a Philly cynic, I don't like Philadelphia sports teams that are not named the Union. Uh, and even then, my Union thing is just more admiration. By the way, if Philly sports teams are frustrating you, go root for the Union. They're awesome. They do great things. And they just won 7-0. It was really fun to watch that. The Flyers, the thing that frustrates me with them is... Even if this goes the way they expect it to, or they think it can, what is the ceiling? For Chuck Flesher's teams, we've joked, it's the first round and out every I, single year. That's what this is. I think that what they're trying to do is get to a consistent revenue level and make the playoffs every year. So, you know, they can, you know, get at least one series of playoff revenue and ticket gate return and you know anything above that is gravy but having a consistent you know product a consistent team um you know and they're gonna go back to their heritage you know they're gonna be a tougher to play against and all this stuff that they're saying hoping that that you know is enough to attract they're redoing the you know parts of the arena to you know, to keep ticket prices high um, and, and give explanation for that. Uh, you know, so they're, I think what we're seeing is a ownership group that's okay with a mediocre front office because they're aligned on the business side of things and what needs to be accomplished there. Yeah, I mean, that's just what lazy ambition. Like, that's the ambition of a Premier League team to stay in the Premier League. That's just... I mean, it's Florida used world, to have obviously. similar type of ownership. Well, yeah, but when they were extremely was... cheap and should not be <laughs> yeah. NHL owners' levels of cheap. We're it talking was... Comcast here. But, yeah, the, the reason they had the people in the front office that stayed a while was because they were okay with that type of ownership an ownership that would nickel and dime everything that would, you know, out, you know, try to use every bit of tax advantage and, and all this and just make terrible deals Isn't with the County to have an owner who now um, actually kind of spends money. And maybe that's because he got a favorable tax break in buying the team. And maybe that's because he got a favorable tax break by moving his business to Fort Lauderdale. I, well, I, it just win at this point. I mean, point. I, at um, this point, listen, the, the Panthers are on much more solid footing than the Flyers are. And I here's the other thing with the Flyers that's really, really interesting. As we record this, we don't know what's happening with Johnny Gaudreau. But, I mean, obviously, if the Flyers can get him, they're going to try to for the most basically obvious reasons. And I still think they're going to be interested in Nazem Kadri because this is the Flyers after all. Nazem Kadri and Tony D'Angelo on the same team. God, that give, that sent just a chill up my spine. But the thing that I think about with the Flyers right now is just there is such a lack of, as you said, there's a lack of ambition. There's a lack of willingness to be bold. I think, and, and the other thing the Flyers front office clearly thinks is that the fan base won't tolerate tanking and rebuilding. Maybe some of that has to do with I, how it went with the Sixers. 
and it's not the same ownership, but maybe that's what they see because they play in the same building, and they clearly know what's happened with the Sixers. It's very easy to figure that out. But the Sixers aren't that anymore. They're a much bolder team now. They just traded for James Harden, obviously. The Flyers fan base is very smart. This is not a dumb hockey market. They know exactly what's going on, and they can see it. You know, obviously, tons of Flyers fans. A bunch of you are listening that might be Flyers fans. You're not stupid. They might think that the front office thinks you're stupid because they you, you, they think you can't accept the rebuild. When if you rebuilt properly and you did a one to two years where you're pretty bad, you get a high draft pick, let's say you luck out and get Connor Bedard, do you think the league would be disappointed if Connor Bedard went to one of its high revenue markets? Of course not. The, the league's better when the Flyers are good. So if that happened, you could be bad for a year or two and you get the prospects and then you trade them away to get good immediately. It's how the Rangers have gotten good. They got a little lucky. It's how the Kings are doing business. You can make Agreed. this work if you had a smart front office. Clearly, Agreed. Chuck Flesher's not that. But if you had a GM who was willing to take those risks, and there are a lot of more creative front offices in the league right now, why wouldn't the fan base accept that? I don't understand it. I, I don't. I mean, I think that there is that fear or, you know, they're perpetuating that stereotype or that idea of that fear. Um, but I think what they're going to find out is they will lose a sizable portion of the fan base because they aren't stupid. They will see what's going on and they'll stop following hockey or start following other teams and maybe only go to games when they play the Flyers or things like that. Um, it's happened before it'll continue to happen. Um, and then when they're good again, they'll come back more often. Um, and by good again, sustainably trying to compete in the right way. The Flyers um, should be like Ed Snyder's compete for the Stanley Cup every year going, thing is not what this is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not because I, they're not in a position with the way the cap is certain is currently constructed to, um, you know, like it because they just had to have two defensemen that stink at playing defense uh, for five million a piece. Uh, they can't get Johnny Goudreau. You know, that's not like there's better ways to even try to accomplish what they're doing, and that's what really makes Chuck Fletcher fall flat. That's what really makes Dave Scott the head of comcast who oversees you know the flyers and owns the team that corporate interest you know they what he fails to understand about this market and this fan base is they're going to quickly peter out and the problem is it might not be this year or next year but by year three when this you know if they or you know as soon as they if they keep missing the playoffs they're going to keep dropping in droves. If they make the playoffs, they'll kind of tread water. But as soon as they drop out again, they'll, they'll start leaving in droves. The only way to get that sustained fan base back is to get star players. You can't get star players without being bad in this league anymore or having a ton of cap space and being lucky enough in, with the UFA year. I mean, Johnny Goudreau is a, a pretty good UFA to – to, oh, to sign yeah. on to and, 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 and i mean they get the they get the added benefit of you know local kid but even then like 
that's that's not something you can bank on. And like I think right. the Flyers are I gonna mean, be, quite honestly, I think the Flyers are gonna be terrible next year no matter what they do with this, right? Because they haven't fixed any of their problems. So maybe they're bad enough to get in the Connor Hart Derby anyway. Who yeah, knows? I mean But I'm just saying, like, that's and not, it's not just work. and it's not just, you know, the one player. If it was just the one player, I mean, he's one ge- potentially generational player. Well, you've um, got two and then maybe and three. Then, and you know, then there's Matt B. Mitchkoff who, you know, there's the issues with Russian you know, the Russian passports right now, work visas and, and all of that, military service and, you know, all of that complicated yeah, web. With, but with, other with than that the Fedotov situation it's like a one A really, really terrifying. It's like a one A, one B situation. Well, even at if you the got moment. three, like the the third yeah. prospect is Fantilli, and, and and he would have been number one this year, I think. I think he would have. I think he would have been number two or three for a lot of team for some teams. I think you can definitely say that. But like, um, but, but we're talking. It's McDavid. Eichel, it's one of the best drafts we've seen. I mean, in I think years. there's. You know, I'm a pretty big fan of Leo Carlson, a forward from Sweden. I mean, there's, uh, uh, there's. I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, Czech who plays in Sweden, center. It's a D. Um, my memory's not great. Um, You're just coming off anyway, a draft. It's fair. <laughs> anyway, you know, he's probably going to go in the top five or, or six. I mean, like, the, if you're so bad that you ha- get a guaranteed top five, then you have two years of top fives. I didn't like how they spent the their fifth overall pick this year. But again, that comes down to the front office. And, you know, they hired a new coach. I think they should have hired a new GM who hired a new coach. Um, and they could have... I think they're going to be, they've committed themselves to putting themselves two years behind course and they're missing one of the greatest drafts. And I don't think it's going to be replicated when the Flyers are going to be back down there picking again. I think that the Flyers will somehow, you know, continue to pick like 10, 11, 12 overall. Oh, the, the Florida Panthers existence. Yeah. The miserable, you know, the, not not good enough to make the playoffs or to really stay in the playoffs or compete in the playoffs not bad enough to get a good pick where you know your futures change pretty quickly i mean i you're you're right like that's where i see the flyers being. but even but even then i think this year is, is too volatile. i don't i think they're going to be really I mean, bad but. they're they're trying to bring excitement and they're trying to bring fans back immediately yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. that's bringing, why they're saying bringing they're a guy like tony d'angelo in even though i understand the south philliness of tony d'angelo that's that's gonna but that's gonna do that here's here's what i'm gonna say it, how is how is it getting the fan base excited about the hockey on the ice when the player you trade for his rights and sign and announce uh, to get everybody excited about is having questions about off ice and locker room issues. And, you know, he's out there saying, I'm not actually racist at all. Like that's, that's the big quote that's coming out from his press conference. It's not about hockey. So, I mean, like it, 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 like everything they do fails in one, in, in the exact respect that they, I think are going for. And, that is a huge issue with me and why, you know, they might not be our third team. And, you know, Colorado's st- taking a step above them now. I watch way more Colorado than F- Philadelphia games. And right now I'm planning on watching the Detroit Red Wings more than the Philadelphia Flyers this upcoming season. 
I might not watch any Flyers games unless they play one of the three teams I you know just mentioned. You know what's funny? I, I should have mentioned this earlier. The Panthers' home opener this season is against the Flyers, and it's going to be a TNT I, game. I hope they, I hope they kick them up and down the ice. You remember really the 15-16 really season do. where the Panthers opened against the Flyers and scored seven on them? Yeah, I hope that was, that was fun. I hope it's, I hope it's great. When was I mean, the last time? I don't think it's ever happened that a Panthers home opener was nationally televised. That's gonna be that's that's a yeah. weird thing in the world we're in now. Uh, I want to get to. We're gonna have a draft podcast coming out shortly, scheduling conflicts and all that. But I do want to get a quick summary of what we saw. In the yeah, draft. let's let's start with the Flyers because you know yeah th- this is one where you were texting me and I kind of thought this is what they were going to do and when you yeah you, it was so did I. the fart noise draft pick it kind of reminds me of the Panthers draft picks for a number yeah. of years where you're just like I knew they were going to do that and I kind of see it but I'm not yeah. really I, sold I even prepped for it in the draft guide which you can find on the Y Hockey. It won't be big this year because um, of the, the schedules and things, but I can promise you that we're going to collectively work on a big one for yeah. next year because of how important the draft but, is. But yeah, I hinted that you know I don't think the Flyers should galaxy brain is what I called it. This pick by getting Cutter Gautier. I, I, you know, like there's a lot of things I do like about him, but to me, he's a ten to twelve pick, maybe eight or nine. Uh, I'd take two. But it just – there's too many I, – I think there's not enough dynamic parts of his game and too many question marks about does – will he be able to do things at a high enough level in the pros, not in junior hockey, um, that so you, like you don't want you in a top make five. For me, and it comes to these USHL, particularly the US NTDP players – Right, it's the level of competition we're talking about, and you—you—that's yeah. why you place a high, you know, premium on Euros because Euros play pros, and even in the case of the Canadian, the major junior leagues, that's a pretty high level of competition. Yeah. It's different when you're playing on the U.S. national team program, which is why you've always been a little bit skeptical of those higher in the draft. Right. Now, this this was the thing. For if this... you remember going back three years with Spencer Knight, this was one of his questions about Spencer Knight. Yeah, and I mean, for, for in this particular case, it was you have David Yurichek, who is most likely going to be a top four right defenseman, can probably and can potentially end up playing on the first. It's the exact type of defenseman the floor, the Flyers need. Like that's free found. Like you could get him at fifth overall. Everybody is pretty in the consensus that this defenseman's fifth overall. The I would say the range of the consensus for Gautier was in the like twelve thirteen range. Uh, you know that's a that's that's a lot of difference. Um, and like it's around picks eight to twelve that every year you know the talent starts to dramatically drop off, especially when it comes to forwards. I think you know um, typically the they scouts do for the most part get get it right with the top end forward scores um but you know we'll see there's a, you know I, there's a lot to like about him he was born in sweden because <laughs> why not um but uh you know i was 
I, I just can't believe that in a day and age where team where they've already spent so much capital to get the signing rights or to, you know, get one year left of defenseman that's medi you know, barely like this guy year checks floor. Like Ristolainen and D'Angelo and stuff are somewhere around the floor of this prospect, in, in my opinion. And they'd get him cost controlled and, you know, all that for what, eight years or something like that? Like, come on. Well, I, you know, if even if you don't end up using them, you can trade them and move them, and that helps your team get better. It makes no sense to me. Um, you know, Devin Kaplan wasn't, I don't think, a terrible pick at 69th overall in the fourth round, or I mean, in the third round. Um, and I don't it really was know too a much. Nice pick. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was the problem. I mean, it's just the first two. They spent a lot of draft equity getting big bodies, uh, big rangy bodies where, you know, you, you hope they turn into something at the pro level. And, you know, I think they could have done a little more with with the picks they had, but that's, that's just that's, me. That's well, there's not enough European players in there. Um, I wanna, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to briefly talk about uh, the rest of it and what you saw. Uh, I, I don't think you were surprised when Slavkovsky went one. As I said, we're going to have another draft yeah. show where we're going to go more into this. But I don't think you're surprised he ended up going number one overall. And then the way the rest of it went, I think, after Slavkovsky went over one overall is not surprising. But, yeah, I, I even in my mock in the draft guide, I said, you know... I almost put Slavkovsky, Nemec, you know, one and two, just because I, that's how I was, my gut was feeling. But everybody kept saying it, it was going to be right. So then I was thinking, well, the Devils were going to pick Slavkovsky. So I'll just put my mock into that because it was a mix of what I wanted and also what I thought it would end up being. But um, I'm happy with the way that turned out. I thought it went pretty as expected, one, two, three, and four. Um, I think Arizona sold themselves on Cooley, and they weren't going to move for Wright. Um, and that, there's that an... seems like what happened, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that there'd be less surprise if Cooley was picked one over Wright, and Wright went maybe th- th- if Wright fell to three at Arizona. I think there would have been a less. I think it's it's you know the fact that a winger, a big winger. Uh, somebody who you know um, is maybe underscouted for a lot of players, and they only are saying, "Oh well, you know, it's just based on these couple tournaments." Um, I don't. I didn't necessarily see that. I saw one of the. I saw one of the most unique players in the draft, and for my money, the most unique player. You know, the most NHL ready. Those things have value. Um, I think he's going to be good on both sides of the puck, I think he's going to be able to score and create chances for play players inside the inner slot in, you know, by the goal crease, you know, behind the net. And those are high value areas. I didn't, you know, they're talking about cutter Gauthier being a, a great power forward and he went fifth overall. And some of the other ones, some of the other prospects, you know, who they kept describing as power forwards, goal, goal scorers and stuff, I think are so far removed and below Slavkovsky that if I had the first, I'd look around and say, 
this player is going to have the most value out of all these players five years from now, ten years from now, because he's unlike any of the other players in this draft. I think when you go and you pick somebody first overall, you're looking for something exceptional, whether it's exceptional talent, uh, whether it's, as you say, unique skill set. Yeah. I think the best way to describe Shane Wright from everything you read from the people who know what they're talking about is jack of all trades, master of none. Right, and and I think that there, from my outside perspective and reading the tea leaves, it seems like some scouts necessarily didn't like the way he kind of he lost some of the habits and details, and they thought for a number one pick that shouldn't happen. You know, it's not necessarily that his production fell off, but it's all the other things with it. And then, you know, reading between the lines, I don't think that he was he liked being challenged by the scouts by it, and maybe didn't re- react the best. Well, in... some of it some of it has to do with the pandemic, because the OHL lost an entire season. A and... lot of guys lose an entire season, and I think you know at this point, it's that's definitely less of a factor now. And for guys who. I mean, every year, guys in Europe who are over-scouted or, you know, because they've played in the pro league for more than just their draft year um, or, you know, like, um, I, I, I think, you know, Brad Lambert is an example of this. If he was in the USHL, I think he could get by on his habits and it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But if he was, you know, maybe in the OHL uh you know, he played since he was 15. He was going to be the number one overall pick. I think maybe he would get a little more um, scrutiny and uh, be held to a little higher standard. And I think that's just kind of the way it goes. And I don't necessarily know how to change that um, or if you we really want to change they it. They don't snap all hockey scouts. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I, I think hockey scouts, you know, one that most a lot i thought i think you know towards the end a lot of the scouts that i follow or you know not talk you know follow on twitter and stuff were hinting at least you know if you read cory promen or grant mckeg or you know like there's a lot of people who are constantly over and over again on the radio hits saying this and you know in their pieces saying this and um, I think, you know, for that's, that's good for a reason. I think if you think that your scouting's done a better way, you should do it that way. And then you can hold it up for everybody to see. And then if it is better, you'll get enough people. But I think there are always going to be people who follow what you would consider junk science or what you would consider, you know, We're scouting seventeen old school children. Let's be fair, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, couple, so couple it's, other it's always going to be pretty unsuccessful. Oh yeah, yeah. A couple other things on the draft. As I said, we're going to have a big. We're going to have a big recap of the draft in a podcast coming shortly. Yeah. Um, a Panthers. Things. Well, I want to get to that, <laughs> but I want to get to first and foremost the Coyotes uh, front office all wearing the same suit. You might think it's cool. I think it's very hockey culture, and you know what I think of hockey culture and conformity. It was really lame. So, congrats on the Coyotes I mean, for being lame. I I do. 
I'll say this. I, I There's a lot of things that you can say it says about hockey culture. It, one highlights the lack of women uh, in... Well, we're getting more of them hired. It's just... But in at least that front office, uh, especially when... But, yeah. um, So, you know, I think it highlights that. I think it does highlight, you know, the conformity that is part of it. But I also think for a culture that's still run by, uh, you know, people of the of this certain corporate culture that that's how they do team building activities. Like, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily just a hockey culture. I think it's more a corporate culture. I still think it's very lame. And, you know, like I think it's lame and everything. I I don't know if I'm going to, if I want to jump on it because I'm sure there's a lot more things Arizona is going to do. That's going to draw my no, eye. I mean, let's, let's, let's be a watch bad their example. home games this year and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be amazing. The Panthers, I think are like the fourth team that goes and plays in there. In the yeah. I think all, I think, I think, um, because of, you know, the college playing mainly primarily on weekends, like <laughs> Phoenix, I mean, Arizona is going to have like no home Saturday games. Yeah, no, I checked the the schedule for the Coyotes is hilarious, but they're also going to be terrible, so it doesn't really matter. And maybe it'll assist Arizona State in college conference realignment, getting a bid. That's why I think. That's why you know, Carolina uh, Coyotes are probably looking for Adam Fantilli or. Uh, you know, because I think that they're now going to start going for college players because, you know, playing in a college barn, Uh, it's an easy transition. It it might help them. Frats! Uh, Everybody loves frats. I hate frats. Anyway, the one other thing from the draft in the first round, we'll get to the Panthers quickly, is uh, Isaac Howard. He was the lightning pick. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you know what? If, If my friend Brock McGillis says that he likes something a hockey player does publicly, you should take notice because he never does that. Uh, the fact that he went out there and said, I'm the best uh, best looking and best dressed player, it's like, good, I'm okay with that. Now, would I wear a Night at the Roxbury suit when you were born after Night at the Roxbury was a thing? Maybe not, but I am sartorially challenged. I am the least fashionable <laughs> queer man on planet Earth, so don't take fashion advice from me. Um, and as for best looking, I'm not going to be one to judge that because I'm almost turning 29. So anyway... But hey, if you're going to do it, please, more of that in hockey, that's good for the sport. It's really, really fun. So I just want more players. I, uh, boring, traditional hockey men nonsense. Nobody likes that anymore. The fan base and the players are much more interested in being confident and making themselves a name, and Isaac Howard did that, even though he's going to play for the Lightning. But hey, I liked it. It was cool. Very entertaining. Panthers draft, not really a whole lot to say about it because it's a bunch of later picks. Um, they drafted a Merrick. Has to go well, right? Because, you know, we like Merrick's on this show. I yeah. did text him that, and that was very amusing to me. Um, um, I, it was a, I, nothing to write home about for sure. Uh, the, that third round pick, Merrick Alsher, uh, I think that that's this, you know, they have a type. Uh, checks who play for Portland. Yes, they <laughs> that do. are defensive. What that a, are what very a defensive. weird. What a weird type to have. Um, but I guess they really like John Ludwig, uh, and you I know he's gonna play AHL games this year. He ain't, he ain't too bad. Yeah, I mean he would have last year, but I think he was out all year with an injury. So yeah. I mean I, I think you know they seem to have trust this scout for 
you know, I think they think that this is a pretty sure thing and he's going to play NHL games and this is why they use 93 on him. They drafted a Swedish defenseman. I know you're always going to like him yeah, when they do that. I, I, yeah, but just to put it, I would have probably had Vladimir Grudin in uh, at at pick 93, or he, you know, you could have. He was picked at 156. You know, the once the pick right before the third pick the Panthers had, so they had two chances to get him. Um, I had, I think he. You know, obviously there's the Russian factor that is amplified now, but I, you know, I think it's worthwhile to make that. I think he has a higher ceiling and more value than a guy who maybe leads your third pair. Maybe you know that's kind of your ceiling, your hope for him. Lucas Carlson. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that they're hoping this guy's going to be more like a Jan Ruda uh, type guy. Well, anyway, um, uh, they also drafted a Latvian. Well, we well a Latvia on this podcast. Yeah, and I well to get to the second pick, Ludwig Janssen, uh, the pick that I like the best um, in my second to last. Not in the draft guide, but the my last rankings before that, I had him fifty something, like low fifties, uh, and I almost picked him in my honorable mentions, but I I didn't. I picked uh, Joel Kjellberg, uh just because he was going to college, and I thought that was a unique pro- development path to be able to draft late, uh, get his rights a little longer. Um, uh, so. Um, but I, I like him. I think he's a decent prospect and project, um, especially for the fourth round. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, it was, I like that they picked a goalie. I like that they were, you know, they knew that they needed to get defensemen. They got defensemen early. Uh, they got some defensive forwards, Jack Devine from Denver, uh, seems like that was a pick that people were surprised that he didn't get drafted in the Scott fifth Mueller, round. I was reading his column, and he really likes yeah. him, and he's surprised that he fell all the way to 221. So, Don't ask us why that happened. Yeah, but. maybe maybe he's Logan Husko good. Maybe he, you know, maybe he's something like that. Who knows? Um, but for a seventh rounder, that seems pretty appropriate. Do you want to know uh, what was really frustrating watching the draft because it was the NHL Network Sportsnet co-production? It was, they got to the seventh round and Jason Bukla is on the set. So you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> the Panthers are going to trade into the seventh round? Well, they traded into the <laughs> set. They did do that. But also Jason Bukla is going to talk all about Mackenzie Weger. And I'm thinking about, and I'm just going, oh no. <laughs> because yeah. I think about the Panthers drafts at that time. And I go, you know, sometimes you get a little, you know, lucky. And they did. Yeah. I mean, I love Mackenzie Weger, but I'm like, Sure. I mean, because you think about some of the other guys that they had drafted around that time and you just go, oh, no. Speaking of which, Henrik Borgstrom's going to get bought out by the Blackhawks. <laughs> My God. The Panthers yeah. won that trade. Lucas Carlson, they won that trade. It's it's hilarious. Um, I, I, I should I just have to mention that because I'm thinking about that now and some of those drafts where they just were just blah, like yeah. really blah. And well... Anyway. Yeah, at least these guys were all blah past the top hundred. Well, yeah, um, no, like this is this <laughs> yeah. is because they don't have any other draft picks, I, you know. And, and I'm going to trust them, you know. Like Liam Arnsby seems like uh, a John Madden type, cool, whatever. He played uh, for the Panthers at one point. <laughs> yeah, and coach. Um, he did also coach for the Panthers at one point. Like correct. I said, you know, they have of 
of the goalies that were decent, it wasn't a great goalie year, but of the goalies that were decent, you know, they picked one of those, you know, Mus- Musilic, Muslik. I, I forget. You're close. <laughs> but, I mean, it's one of those things you always have to – you should draft yeah. the goalie every year. But, I mean, of the development team goalies, I, I thought he was better of the ones that I had to watch in tape. Well, okay, I wasn't so, really paying attention too much to the goalies. But, but I mean, you, you draft the goalie every year. They did it last year. They yeah. did it – you know, they did it obviously like it. In, in 2020, and it worked out really nicely they for draft them. Some, they draft some big guys. They draft some small guys. It seemed that, you know – Whatever it is about their process, like, again, the process, when you think about 2020, it led them, obviously, to Anton Lindell, which was a slam dunk. You know, three of the prospects they drafted ended up being used as capital to get better players, you know, and that's really how you should look at the draft. And last year, I mean, I look at Sam Miskevich, like, they still have him around, and he's he's still pretty highly regarded, so... Whatever they're doing, even if, you know, the outside forces aren't the biggest fans of them, you know, like, they're not doing a bad job. Like, there is a coherent draft process that they have created, and they still have Yari Kekalainen, who gets to sit at the draft table, and that makes us very happy, right? Yep. Gotta say, Bill Zito Zito had a good look. I like the shoes Bill Zito was wearing for that draft. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. Yeah. That was was neat. I would like to see them you know, maybe be, have a little more picks, one or two more picks that are like Carolina, um, you know, who I, I thought had a pretty good, good draft as usual. And, you know, they, they had a couple better picks that were, than Florida, but for the most part they were, you know, they weren't in the first round. They didn't pick the 60th overall. Um, you know, they had some challenges but they weren't afraid to go to Russia to, to pick up extra value. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that they had, I mean, time will tell, but I would be more confident having some of those players um, in the dra- in the prospect pool versus who they added. Um, but, you know, I think there are some people who thought they had the worst draft or, you know, the second to worst draft I saw in, in rankings. I don't know about that, but... Um, these, these draft rankings are all subjective. Yeah. It, it, it is and what it's, it is. Again, it's, it's, it's you know, a reaction and grade based off of who was available based on current rankings at that moment. Um, and, you know, what the team, maybe the prospect pool needs at that moment and a lot of different things. And then, obviously, you kind of have to do measurements three years out, five years out, and, and see how many NHL games played, how many points, and how many useful because you, you look at like for instance, the, that you know like we look back at say 20 you know, like we, here's the thing i think we have to say other than maybe spencer knight you have to look back from 2019 before as a certain thing and we're just getting into the figure now where you can start to really grade 2020 and the panthers class is 2020 is pretty successful because for them anton lindell has become what everyone wanted him to be and he's been awesome you know and those other players have led them to getting, you know, like uh, Heineman got them Sam Bennett, Devin Levy got them Sam Reinhart, and I mean, I was not a huge fan of Ben Sherratt, but like you can see what they were trying to do there, and that that's what a good draft should do. And so yeah. in many and regards, that draft was successful. So Speaking of Montreal, um, I th- obviously it's easy to, to tell that they're going to have a good draft, I mean, with yeah, the number, number one, one overall pick. 
And then they had 26, 33, 62, 75, 92. I mean, that's, <laughs> and they had a couple more picks after that. Um, you know, they're going to get four or five NHLers out of this at least. Um, and that's, that's something, but good for Montreal. I'm happy, you know, and I'm not so much that I like Montreal, but I want them to be relevant. It's good for the league if they're relevant. And, uh, you know, it seems that the, I don't know how Mari St. Louis is going to be long-term as a coach, but right now the energy he has brought along with Hughes, the general manager, um, and uh, by the way, looking a lot like the lead singer of the Midnight Oil. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, there's a reference for you. I panned those hires, uh, but you know, I think so. I, I, on the, I, I, on the I, surface, so far, it looks good. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I, I've guessed it on a Montreal-centric podcast before, and I hope to do it again. Like, they're not going to be good, but they're going to be like, an, the kind of you know, bad where you're hopeful. Like, you've got but young players, you've got a coach if, you like. It's the it's the if, kind of bad you want to be, basically. If Philadelphia was doing a version of what Montreal is doing. A lot of the Flyers fans I know would not be telling me they're less excited today than they were a month ago about the Flyers. Oh, it's a hundred percent right. The Canadians are doing a rebuild properly. Uh, Want to get a quick couple of things before we, we move this on again, we're going to have a draft recap show with it's more full in, in short order. And then we're going to do something uh, with free agency after the dust is settled. Just a couple other things on the moves around the league. Speaking of the Canadians, uh, that wild trade for Kirby Doc. Um, we won again in the Blackhawks here. Uh, the the it's hey get a young center. They need centers. It, it's worth taking a bet if somebody's really willing to give up on them. Uh, you might as well try it, and they did. And I have no reason to think that that's a bad a bad move. I'm not sure how good he's going to be, but you get him Marty St. Louis, and he, he he could get some of those young players to play better. That's worth it. Um, but the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, let's be honest, they really do need to bleach that organization from top to bottom, and I guess they're trying, but we are talking one of the most shameless tanks I've ever seen this year. I mean, incredible level of tank. I can't, like, this, this team is supposed to make money for the league, and they are going to quite possibly be, you know, Red Wings shortened season level of bad. Like, if they get to 50 points, I would be shocked. I got to tell you, though, there's one, there's two ways of doing it. And I think, you know, the Red Wings were able to keep Dylan Larkin around. The Red Wings were able to, you know, have some some re- level of respect and some, I would say, decorum about it, at least. Uh, I, like, you I, expect a team like Arizona or Buffalo to do a very shameless tank. Because all those teams yeah. are extremely bad. And... Like the Coyotes, that's the only way you could go about doing it at this point because of the situation they're in. But and, and maybe, as we said, the Blackhawks should be doing this because of the situation that they find themselves in. But, oh my word, this is incredible what they're doing. I think that, you know, it's only going to continue, obviously. Uh, the, uh, you know, the prevailing thought is no way Patrick Kane stays now. Uh, if that happens, you could easily see Taves going to um, Taves is, I don't know how you move that, but I think Kane is a very realistic trade uh, to make. 
Um, break it trade. I understand, like maybe a little why the the, I, the the return wasn't what it was because you're getting essentially two years. And then he's going to break the bank at our, uh, as UFA. But I mean, seriously, that's what you got for him. Yeah, it's not good enough. I mean, well, because I think two things happened. Teams teams weren't really sure how serious Chicago would be with trading to break it because why you're trading to bring it for a couple lottery t- tickets to pick an Alex to bring it. Who's still very young. Um, scored 40 goals last year. Obviously I think what happened was it became unten Like the player said, listen, I'm not going to be here longer like this. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And this is what happens when you have such orchestrated tanks, when you have, um, and you do them so poorly that it takes longer, um, you lose guys like Alex to bring it. Um, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where Patrick Kane goes. I'm interested with that to see where both of them like. go. Yeah, like they're both gonna um, go. They, they they both need to. I wonder if Chicago is willing to take Bobrovsky. If Bobrovsky would be willing to wait next to go year. To I want. You know what? That's a good question. I wonder I mean, if they do that next year. That's a that that would be very interesting because they are going to be garbage next year too. Even with Bedard, if they get him, they're going to be terrible. Um, so yeah, I they'll mean, probably even send him back to junior just to be like, listen, dude, you do not want to be. Yeah, here. I mean, I'm almost yeah, but I mean, with Bedard might be the one except, but you probably are like. Do you really want your young, your, like this this amazing franchise defining player to be around the absolute yeah. tire fire of suck that they're going to be for a while? I mean, oh by the way, that Seth Jones trade, maybe top five worst trade of the twentieth century, twenty uh, first century in the league. Yeah, I mean, it it Chicago at least keeps Chuck Fletcher from being the worst general manager right now so that well, that's as i said like i get positive. the tank i know why you need to tank i understand but, that but you gotta find you a way can't... to do it a little better than this yeah and i think you it's just impossible to be taken seriously of doing an about face that dramatic and that's why when philadelphia has to do their about face and go for the rebuild after this failed um competitive retool or whatever they're calling it these days it's going to be even harder to get fans back because there's going to be less trust and less, you know, they have less authority. They have less credentials. Um, you know, oh, are, are you going to hire the right person this time? Or are you going to, you know what, you know, you know what's know? really interesting about like when we're watching teams rebuild and we're going to start wrapping this up shortly, like the Kings do it the way that they're supposed to like, you rebuild, you stock up your prospect covered. Last year, they were better than they expected. They took Edmonton to a game seven, and then they immediately say, all right, what do we need? We're going to go out and get a star. And they got Kevin Fiala. They didn't need a first-round pick. They had more prospects than they can do with. And then quickly, now you look at the Kings, and you're going, that's a really good team for next year. That's a really good hockey team. Had a solid draft. Like you that's know, how you do this. Nothing special, but you know, like you said, they didn't need a first round. They got some decent, you know, picks this year, and but they're they they were able to get a Philip Deneau. They were able to go out and say, okay, listen, this is what our plan is: get guys who want to win right now to commit to that plan, which shows other people, hey, this team is actually committed to winning this team's actually going to start um pulling up 
so to speak. Uh, and what they did this year, I think if they were more healthy, uh, especially, you know, especially Drew Doughty, I think that they beat Edmonton in round one. That, and that, that team, is that crazy. That team is a problem next year. That team is a big problem next year. I hope year. so. I hope so. I want more interesting hockey to watch because the Philadelphia Flyers are coming off the TV screens near you. Oh, yeah. That's 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 unfortunate. Um, and, and in terms of anything else, I don't think there's much else. I mean, there's a lot of cool things that, that happen. You know, you're going to be seeing a lot of women getting hired in front office roles. Should have happened. Uh, Mike Greer being hired at GM in San Jose. That's neat. It's good, good to see, good things to see. And uh, I think at this point, as we got to wait until we see what the free agents period looks like, because it feels way too quiet as we're recording this for what is possibly about to happen. So I'm very curious to see where we go. We're going to have more shows coming. Draft recap shows yeah. coming in a much I mean, more formal way. There has to be some, some shoes to drop, uh, not only in Florida – but I think elsewhere, um, it, it, like you said, it is way too quiet. And like the, I, the period between the draft ending and the start of free agency usually can get you a couple things going down, but we haven't seen anything real. I mean, other than Philip Forsberg since the draft. And that's, that's weird. I'm interested to see what comes next, and I'm very interested to see. Uh, there's a lot, of, there's a lot you, of things out there. Where do you think Johnny Goudreau goes? I think he stays in Calgary. I think he stays in Calgary. I do. Oh my word! I I'm agree. Texting, I, I, I'm watching the England Norway game in the women's tournament. England's winning six 0 in the first half. My God, it's insane. Uh, that that's completely shocking to me. Anyway, uh, we'll get to more in the coming days ahead. Thank you for uh, sticking with us and. Uh, I, I would say good night and good hockey, but uh, that might be too good for the Flyers right now. <laughs>